Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bible today to two openings, one in Ephesians chapter 2 and one in 1 Samuel chapter 13. You can put your finger in 1 Samuel 13 because we're going to come back to that. But I have two passages to share with you this morning, and these two passages don't seem to have anything to do with one another, but I believe the Lord will connect them for us today. I want to begin with reading Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. This, is, this may be one of the most past, preached passages in all of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 is absolutely rich with new creation, New Testament theology. If you get Ephesians 2 in your heart and you get it cemented inside of you, you will always live in victory. Amen? You didn't seem to be very excited about that, but it's true. (laughs) If you get Ephesians 2 just rooted on the inside of you, you'll walk in victory all the time. But I want to read the first three verses, Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, you know, we could just stop right there, have a Holy Ghost party, and go home, and just know that we've had a good time in the presence of God, because I don't know about you, but that's one of the best lines in Scripture. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you realize how dead you were before you came to Jesus? This is, a, this is a paradoxical statement. This is a, or excuse me, this is a dichotomy of a statement. You started out life dead, and, you, and when you met Jesus, you came in, into Christ, and you became alive in him. Yeah. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the reality of what happened on the inside of you. We say, Pastor Josh, I was never dead. From the time I was alive, I've been alive. No, you were dead spiritually. You were decaying spiritually. There was nothing to your life. Your life prior to Christ on a spiritual level had no value. It's true. We've talked about this before. Matter of fact, we mentioned in last week's message, our righteousness prior to Jesus, our righteousness was filthy rags. Amen. So, so this is not the message. I could talk about this for weeks, but, but I just want to, I want to build a case for us this morning. And so we have to start here and build a little bit. But the difference here that Paul is starting to make is a very clear distinction between our spiritual life before and after our encountering of Christ. The difference here could not be more radical. The two realities could not be more different. In fact, nothing that applies to one applies to the other. How much similarity is there between death and life? They're diametrically opposed. They're completely opposite. They have no similarities. When you're alive, there's stuff happening in your body all the time. You're not even aware of it. Stuff's pumping and moving and blood's flowing and your brain's firing and the signals are getting sent through your nervous system. Your heart's beating. Lungs are doing. There's so much stuff happening that you and I are not aware of when we're alive. When you're dead, none of that's happening. It's all, it all stops. There's no comparison between death and life. They could not be more far from one another. Now, I could preach, again, I could preach on that reality for a long time, but for the sake of this message... 
We need to just understand it as part of the foundation for what we want to talk about because what we want to focus on is in the next two verses. What I want to focus on today is the battle that's happening in our world in an effort to capture the heart of people. The title of our message today, if you're taking notes and you want to give it a title, is The Unseen Battle. The Unseen Battle. And I want to be like a lawyer this morning as I share on this topic, and I want to build an argument one layer at a time. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to throw a lot at you this morning, and I'm going to ask you to just follow as we build layer upon layer, verse upon verse, okay? I get this image in my mind of one of these, you know, Colonel Sanders looking guys in a courtroom with a Savannah accent, you know? I'd like to draw your attention to Exhibit A, distinguished judge and members of the jury. <laughs> it's a little humor never hurt. It just makes the, you know, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I want to ask you a question and do my part today to answer this question. It's actually two questions in one, and then we're going to continue reading Ephesians. But this is the question, or these are the questions. Why is it that as a Christian, my faith feels like it's under attack, and what can I do about it? Why is it that my, as a Christian, my faith feels like it's under attack, and what can I do about it? Do you, have you sensed or have any feeling of your faith being under attack? How many of you realize the world is upside down and inside out and cockeyed and twisted? And there's, I mean, the world's crazy right now. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to my best friend on the phone this week, and we were talking. He said, man, he's like, everybody's just so on edge. I said, yeah, it's true. Just on it, just living on edge. If this is the edge of a meltdown, I'm like, my toes are hanging over. It's just one crossword, one side-eyed glance, one rumor, one news story, one Instagram post away from a meltdown. And guys, we're living there. We're not visiting it. We're living there. Why is it that as a Christian, my faith feels like it's under attack, and what can I do about it? Let's read verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive. Hallelujah. Say, I'm alive. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, this is verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others I want you to notice in Paul's, that, I want you to notice that in Paul's distinction between who we used to be and who we are now, he identifies an underlying source 
of origin, a source of inspiration for the confusion and the chaos in our world. In other words, as he is describing to us the dynamic, radical nature of what happened to us when we got saved, as he's explaining that, he's also explaining that there's something bubbling below the surface that we cannot see that's working against us. Let me stop here for a moment and tell you that the madness that you see in the world today has a source and has an origin. It's not arbitrary and it's not accidental. It's not just people left to their devices. There's actually stuff going on in the world of the unseen realm of the spirit that we do not necessarily see or taste or touch or smell or feel or anything like that. I can't hear the spirit realm right now. I don't see angels at this current moment. But they're there. Amen. If you could if you could get a glimpse into the spirit realm right now, you'd see tons of angels in this room. You're not, we're not the only ones in here. Amen. Don't get weirded out. That's actually Bible. So there's 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 a, a, a source of origin, a point of inspiration uh, that, that the whole world is getting inspired to be the way that it is. There's a source behind all of it. And and by the way, for the record, I'm building a case like that Colonel Sanders lawyer. I'm not trying to be spooky or metaphysical or weird. This is Bible. In this passage, Paul shows us that there are things happening which we cannot see that inspire the things to happen that we can see. That's a real simple way to look at it. There are things happening that we cannot see which inspire the things that we can see. Does that make sense? He goes on in this passage to tell us that it's the Spirit of God who has saved us and has raised us to be seated with Christ. Man, if you go through the rest of Ephesians 2, you will come out with your hair on fire because it's so exciting about what God has actually done for you and me. We've been seated in heavenly places with Christ. I'm I'm so far above the challenges of this world, it's not even funny. And so are you. Because you're seated with him. And guess what? Jesus doesn't have any problems this morning. There are no emergencies on his calendar. He sees things from a completely different dimension than what you and I see. And it's imperative that we get on board with his agenda and start to see things from his perspective. Amen. He shows us, he goes on to show us in this passage, that it's the spirit of God who is the source of our victory in Christ. He's the one that seated us with Christ. He also shows us that there is a spirit in the world which is working against the things of the kingdom of God. Let's let's read that verse 2 again, and we'll see this. He said that we once walked according to the course of this world. Pay attention to that phrase, the course of this world. We once walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? Anybody that doesn't know Jesus. Anybody that doesn't know Christ is a son of disobedience. They're a a person who's not yet encountered the goodness of Jesus and, and because they haven't yet encountered him, they haven't been changed on the inside. They haven't received that new heart from God. They haven't, they haven't had their nature reprogrammed. 
So Paul is instructing us and showing us here that there's a spirit in this world that is, that is the source of and the origin of all the chaos that we see. For years, authors, theologians, and philosophers have referred to this as the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age. In fact, there was a book written in the 1800s by a guy named William. And, he, and the, book, the title of the book, it was a German guy, I don't remember his last name. But the title of the book was The Spirit of the Age. And it was a book about men who throughout history had shaped history by pushing against the prevailing, dominating spirit of the age. You know, there have people been through history that have pressed against what was going on in their world and as a result purchased freedoms and things that you and I now appreciate and enjoy. Did you know that you're the recipient of battles you didn't fight? You're the, the recipient of victories in battles you never had to engage in. And there have been people, men and women throughout history that have helped to shape history. And this guy, Williams, wrote this book called The Spirit of the Age. And it was all about men who had, through history, pushed against the prevailing forces of their time to create freedom. And the title of that book, almost got off topic there for a second. The title of that book was The Spirit Age. Course here is the Greek word aeon. And if you were to actually pronounce it properly in Greek, it would be aion. But aeon's easier, so that's what we're going with. It's the word aeon, which actually is a very, very big and significant word in Greek thought. On the surface, if you're taking notes, this is very important, you want to catch this. On the surface, it's a word that describes periods of time or ages in human history. But on a deeper level, it describes not just the underlying characteristics and spirit of the culture which defines that time period. I'm going to give you a couple examples of this in just a second so that it makes sense to you. But let me read that to you one more time. This word aeon, the word for course in, this, in, in, in Ephesians 2, the course of this world, it's the word aeon in Greek. And it means the, the underlying characteristics and spirit of the culture that defines a certain time period. Let me give you an example. How many of you are familiar with the term the Gilded Age? The, the word aeon is most often translated age. And we have, we've had all kinds of aeons throughout history. The Stone Age, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, the Gilded Age. In fact, a couple years ago, Brian and I were in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, which subsequently has become one of my favorite places in the entire world. And we were spending time with friends that day, and they took us to this, uh, there's a couple streets right on the edge of these cliffs in um, Newport, Rhode Island. And you get to tour, you get to drive past all these Gilded Age mansions. And it was homes, I mean, they look like the Biltmore, y'all. It's, it's these summer homes 
that, 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 that were owned by families like the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and all these titans of, of industry in the latter part of the 1800s in America. And they built their summer shacks out at the beach. At, at, uh, they all lived in New York City, but they wanted a getaway. And so they have these massive Gilded Age homes. And we got to drive past them. It was super cool. But the Gilded Age, this is an example of the word aeon. The Gilded Age was a period, this is not my definition, by the way. I got this off Wikipedia, so you know it's right. Uh, the, (laughs) The Gilded Age was a period of gross materialism and blatant political corruption in the U.S. history during the 1870s. So, so you see both elements there. You see the time period was the 1870s, but you see the spirit that defined that time period was a period of gross materialism and blatant political corruption. Or how about this? Let me give you one that's easier for everybody to wrap their head around. What do you think of when I say the 80s? Right? What do you think of when I say the 60s? You think of the Beatles, you think of the Vietnam War, you think of all all kinds of political unrest, you think of some of the most creative music that was ever to come out of music happened in the 60s, right? She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) With the love like that, you know you should be glad. No, I mean, what is it? When you mention an era, you don't just think of the years, You think of everything that defined what those years meant. And this word course means that. And it says that before we knew Jesus, we walked according to the aeon, according to the defining characteristics of the world. gets better when we remember that the word walk here says according to what we we once walked according to the course of this world the word walk means to pattern your life after something it's not unintentional it's creative you intentionally live according to a certain way so to bring those two thoughts together y'all still sticking with me members of the jury okay i'm building my case To bring these two thoughts together, we read this scripture like this, that you and I once, everybody say once, Once. we once patterned our lives after the characteristic spirit and culture and era in which we were living. We used to be so worldly before we met Jesus. But this is no longer the way that we live because why? We're in Christ now. So we pattern our lives after something completely different. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, what did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things you need will be added to you. Why? So, so, So to come back to the questions that I wanted to answer today, why do I feel like my faith is under attack? It's because as long as you and I are following Jesus, we're swimming upstream. 
This is the part of the huge distinction that Paul's making. He said, you used to be children of darkness. You used to be blinded. You used to be dead on the inside. You were totally like every other salmon swimming with the current. And then one day you encountered the person of Jesus and he so radically changed you on the inside. You have a brand new heart now and a brand new nature. And what happened was you spun around and started to swim upstream. And everything longer defined to you, you now have a completely new heritage, a brand new family lineage, a new set of spiritual DNA. You are not dead anymore. You're totally alive. And the spirit that used to inspire what you did is not the spirit that inspires what you do now. We're, we're now in the kingdom of God. And that means something. If you're following Jesus this morning, you're intentionally walking towards resistance. And there's an underlying spiritual motivator that's causing the world to go in the direction that it's going. God over here, which is compelling us to follow him. So what do we do? We're caught in a crossroads. We're caught in a moment of decision where we have to decide which way am I going to go. In other words, I've said, I've taken a lot of words to say this. The world's going this way, and you're going the other way, and you need to understand that there's a reason. It's not arbitrary. Your faith doesn't feel like it's under attack for no reason. You're not feeling resistance just by chance. There's something else going on. So, how do we practically identify this spirit of the age in our lives so that we can understand how to deal with it? Y'all following me so far? Making good sense? All right, I'm building a good case. Praise God, we're going to win this case. <laughs> feeling good about it. How do we practically identify this spirit of the age so that we can understand how to deal with it? I'd like to submit to you that the easiest way to identify the spirit of the age in your life is to understand this. And if you're taking notes, here it comes. The spirit of the age is the spiritual pull towards dependence on anything other than Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different ways we could point to the spirit of the age in our lives. It could be these, you know, these different sins or this different, you know, the, the, the political spirit that got us so divided. It's not about party. It's about, it's about the, the insides of you being pulled apart and being frustrated to hate your brother and sister because they have a different opinion than you. That's nonsense. It's trash. And it comes from the pit of hell. It comes from the spirit of the age. Now, there's a lot of things like that that we could point to and go, well, that's the spirit of the age. That's the spirit of the age. But I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, Lord, what is, what is the best way for me to define what this looks like in my own life so that I can deal with it and so that I can teach other people how to deal with it? If you want to know what I believe biblically and what the Holy Spirit is the key to understanding the spirit of the age, it's the spiritual pull towards dependence on Anything other than Jesus Christ. 
It's that spiritual pressure that you feel to let your life be defined by anything other than what God says in his word. It's literally, it could go a thousand different directions. It could be, it could be you, you know, your marriage. It could be your relationship to your kids. It could be your job. It could be how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It could be how happy you are or how unhappy you are. There's a thousand different ways it can manifest. But the reality is you can always pinpoint it this way. The spirit of the age is working on me, and I know it when I'm getting pulled in a direction other than Jesus for my place of dependency. If you get so comfortable in your job that you can't see your life without that job, spirit of the age is working on you. You're comfortable because you're dependent on it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, do the lilies of the field, are they worried about tomorrow? The sparrows, are they, are, they, are, they, are they just sitting up there in their nest just fretting over where their next meal is going to come from? No, they've been completely made to be dependent on God for everything. And the minute you or I start getting pulled in our dependency away from Jesus is the minute you can say, that's the spirit of the age. That's the spirit. That's that thing pushing against me while I'm trying to swim upstream. It's making me dependent on somebody else. Or something else. Now, I want to use that definition to tie what we just said from Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 2 to 1 Samuel 13. So go with me to 1 Samuel 13. And perhaps when we read this scripture, you're going to look at it and go, What the heck does that have to do with anything? But I promise you, it'll make sense in a second. Objection, Your Honor. Overruled. Okay. First Samuel. I'm just enjoying the courtroom courtroom motif, so just go with me. First Samuel 13. How often do you get to use the word motif in a sermon? It's a good day. First Samuel 13. We're going to read down through verse, or, yeah, verse 19 through verse 22. First Samuel 13, 19 through 22 says, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim of the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found in the hands of Saul and Jonathan, his son. What does that have to do with anything? My, wife, my wife's looking at me like this. That was great. What, what, is this, what does this have to do with anything? It's a perfect, perfect example and picture of the spirit of the age at work in God's people. Why? Because here's the Philistines, and I'll give you a little backstory. Dave, or David is not yet king. Saul is still king. Jonathan, his son, is with him. 
And now I will tell you that at this point, the anointing has left King Saul to be king. It's now rested upon King David. David's still a young boy. Hasn't, he's just about to defeat Goliath. Hasn't happened yet. That won't happen until chapter 17. But Saul is still the king, but he's not anointed to be king anymore. And Jonathan, his son, is traveling with him. And they, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, this is all leading up to, Goli- to the showdown with Goliath. And the people in the nation of Israel have been hemmed in by the Philistines. If you read the previous verses, you see the Philistines camped over here and over here and over here and over here and over here. And they they totally trapped the Israelites. And Saul, who's lost the anointing to be king, doesn't know what to do. And here's how the Philistines are taking control over the people of Israel. Here's how they are, are, are holding them back and clamping down to keep them controlled. They said, you know what we got to do? Let's eliminate the blacksmiths. Because if we eliminate the blacksmiths, nobody will be able to sharpen a sword or a spear. And, if, and, and if, if we make sure that they don't have anything to fight with, they'll never be able to rise up against us and take back their land. And so you've got a problem here, obviously. <laughs> but you've you got a problem here on multiple fronts. You've got a king who can't lead anymore. And you've got a bunch of blacksmiths who are no longer there. I don't know whether they got killed or whether they got captured or what. And now all of Israel no longer has a way, not, not only to sharpen their, their weapons, but to sharpen their farming tools. I got a sickle here. I got to sharpen it before I go and you know, harvest all this wheat that I grew in my backyard. Where, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to go to the enemy to get sharpened. I'm going to have to go to my enemy to get refined. The goal of the Philistine army was to rob the Israelites of their ability to prepare for battle. The spirit of the age wants you to come to it for your resource and for your identity instead of going to God. That's what did we just say? How did we define the spirit of the age? It's anything that gets you dependent on anything other than who Jesus is. It's, it's you taking your garden tools into the enemy's camp to get them sharpened. And oh, by the way, we don't sharpen swords here. You will be completely unempowered for battle in the day of battle. If you have to go to the world to get sharpened and to get refined, if you have to go to the spirit of the age to get sharpened and refined, you won't be able to withstand an attack. Because like the Philistines, the world will only sharpen certain tools. The world will only refine you in areas that are, re- that are unrelevant, irrelevant to battle. What do I mean by that? The world will never give you your identity and your purpose. It'll sharpen your ego, but it won't tell you about why you're here. The world has no value to you when it comes to your identity and and, and your purpose. The world will sharpen you according to your desires. You'll You'll get the lust of the flesh really dialed in. The world will sharpen the dickens out of that thing, but it's not going to tell you who you are in Jesus. 
That, that, kind of, that kind of resource can only come from one place. The purpose is so that when it comes to fight, you don't have any defense. The world, listen to me, the spirit of the age that's pulling on you, the thing you feel like you're pushing against all the time, the reason that it is there is to get you to, swim, to turn around and swim downstream like everybody else and go to the same place everybody else goes to get their inspiration and to get their, their resourcing and to get what they need to live. If you are getting sharpened by Instagram and by the news channels and by what this pundit says and what that pundit says, you know what? You're getting refined in all the wrong areas. You're going to show up to the battle with a garden spade instead of a sword. And when the enemy comes out against your house and when the enemy moves in against you, you're not going to have any defense. You're not going to have any way to fight back. The world will never give you a sense of your identity, a sense of your purpose. How about this? The world will never give you a sense of security. Only Jesus can do that. The culture, you think the culture is going to make you secure? It's not. The culture that we live in is breeding insecurity so fast, it's hard to keep up with. The culture that we live in is breeding offense so quickly, it's almost hard to keep up with. People are so offended and so on edge, and they've been, it's like they've been programmed by the spirit of the age to be dependent on all these other things. I'm over here getting my sickle and my garden hoe and my, and my shovel sharpened. Meanwhile, the enemy's getting ready to cut my head off, and I have no defense for it. Why? Because the blacksmiths are gone. The blacksmiths are gone. Where, where's the preacher that's going to get in your face about sin? Where's the preacher that's going to get in your face about grace? I'm like, what, am I just going to stand up and preach messages that make us feel real good, put a little powder on your diaper rash, and send you home? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I don't want you to be a victim in the day of battle. When, when the enemy comes out against your, your house, I want you to have the artillery to stand up with a spiritual backbone and say, nice try. The blacksmith didn't leave my country. I got a sword, and you can't come in here. We can't afford to not have the resource that we need from heaven when things get serious in our lives. And I'm not a doom and gloom person. So I'm not trying to preach this message, you know, to prepare you for some apocalyptic, you know, whatever. I'm going to go home and take a nap today. It's beautiful. I mean, it's like I'm a happy guy, right? We got a lot to be thankful for. But don't trade your blacksmith. Don't, don't, don't quit going to the blacksmith to get your sword sharpened. Don't leave the spirit of God to heed the lies of the spirit of the age. Don't get your ability to understand a political system so honed and so sharpened, but you can't quote scripture when the enemy tries to put sickness on your kids. Now, when the enemy comes to attack your marriage or attack your finances or you start making some progress in the things of God, now all of a sudden you ain't got no, you ain't got no way to, to defend yourself. But man, I got a lot of followers on my feed. 
oh yeah. My, my Preachers with Sneakers account is booming. You kidding me? Look at my Instagram feed. All the pictures match. They're so beautiful. All the filters look perfect. I have got my eyebrows perfect. I'm so dialed in. Come on. Am I talking? Am I being real? Am I being real about the superficiality of the world that we live in? Got it all together on screen, but a good stiff fart from the enemy would knock you over. And we, and, we, and we don't come to church, heavens no. After all, what does the book of Psalms say? In the, at, at the lake is pleasures forevermore. Right? Come on, come on, come on. At the vacation house is, is, is the fullness of joy. At the beach is pleasures forevermore. We, we skip out on small groups. I ain't got time for that. Got time for that. I'm trying to build my, my brand. Come on, man. I'm an influencer. I'm trying to influence. Only thing you're influencing is a couch. Did you, did you just say roasted? Awesome. Thank you. Bless God. I, I fully intend to roast the enemy this morning. Because here's the thing, guys, the spirit of the age will have you spinning your wheels trying to keep up with society, trying to keep up with what's going on. And here's the problem. In the process, you throw away the most precious thing you have, which is your peace. I like what Creflo Dollar says, if it costs me my peace, it costs too much. I am not willing to sacrifice the righteousness that Jesus died to give me just so that I can be relevant, just so that I can be on the cutting edge of society. Who gives a flip about society when the enemy's trying to come after your kids? We need more blacksmiths in the land that can sharpen more swords. So I don't want to show up at the... I don't want to show up at the battle with a garden hose. Amen. In the last couple minutes, I want to finish answering the question we started out asking. Why is it that as a Christian I feel like my faith's under attack? What can I do about it? How do we combat the spirit of the age? I'm going to give you just a couple practical things. There's, there's probably a list of 25 things I could say that we could do, but, but I narrowed them down to four, and they're real practical. They're spiritual, but they're also practical. How do we combat this spirit of the age? Y'all doing okay? You got time for about two or three more minutes? How do we combat this spirit of the age? Number one, get really devotional about your relationship with Jesus. Get hyper-devotional, hyper-focused about your relationship with Jesus. Listen, let me tell you something. Sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice to spend time with God. I don't know how else to say it any stronger without just being straight-up mean. But give up whatever you have, whatever it costs you to spend time with Jesus. Get rid of it. Give it up. David said in the Psalms, he said, early will I seek you. 
He said in Psalm 27, oh, I'm getting emotional again. He said in Psalm 27, he said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That one thing will I seek, that I may dwell in his house, that I may inquire in his temple, and that I may behold his beauty. Netflix is not more important than your time with Jesus. Your schedule is not more important than your time with Jesus. The App State game is not more important. The Luke Combs concert is not more important than your time with Jesus. It has to get to the point where we say, I am unable to function without my daily time with God. You want to you combat the spirit of the age in your life? You want to get your family where they need to be? Get really devotional about your relationship with Jesus. Number two. Number two. Get off the edge. What do I mean by that? Start to live with some space and some margin. Again, I said said this was going to be Spiritual, but it's also very practical. Get off the edge. I said at the beginning of the message here, we're all, we're all on the edge all the time. Do you want to know why? It's because we are, pa- we are so patterned after this model of consumption in our world that we pack so much in to every second of every day, and then when the tiniest little fragment of something doesn't go the way we planned it, it throws everything off, and we end up stressed. And like I said, we're, we're one, you know, soggy goose fart away from a, a meltdown. And if you're parents who have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's the kid melting down. Sometimes it's the parents that are on the edge of the meltdown. Amen. It's me and Abigail. Two, two alike, I'll tell you what. So we are the same person, aren't we, baby? No, listen, number one, get super devotional with God. Get real intentional about your time with Jesus. Number two, get off the edge, man. Say no to FOMO. You know what FOMO is? Can I soapbox for like two seconds? You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out? FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. We all deal with it. Can I, can I give you a piece of, like, just absolute truth? You're going to miss out on all kinds of stuff. You know what one of my hidden passions is that I don't talk about? Sailing. It really is. Someday, someday, I will own a sailboat, and I will sail it up and down the East Coast. But you know what? I don't talk about it, and I don't make a big deal about it, because you know what? At this season of life, I'm totally missing out on sailing, because I live six hours away from the coast, and I have three kids under the age of 12, and I have a full-time job, and I pastor a church, and every now and again, I'd like to see my wife for more than five minutes. So you know what? I'm missing out on all kinds of crap. I'm okay with it. You need to be too. Say no to some stuff. Stop trying to be at every function with every person and at dinner with every human being you've ever met in your life this week. We got to get it in, man. Come on. What do we got? We got six minutes before bed. Let's watch a show. 
And then we wonder. Now, here's what happens. Can I get real? Can I get real real with you for a second? What happens, and I've been learning this lately. Brianna and I have been talking about this actually recently. When a day doesn't have a start and an end, it all runs together. And that's no way to live a life. When you get up in the morning right before you have to start moving to get somewhere. And you don't have any buffer and there's no time. And then, when, then what happens is you get everything together and you leave the house and you left a big mess because there was no time. And so then you go work all day and hustle till you're done and then you come home and it's almost time for bed and now you're faced with the mess which you don't have time to clean because you went too hard in the paint and now you got to go to bed and so you add to the mess. And then tomorrow morning you wake up in the same mess. There's been no closure to the day. Stop living on the edge. It's not spiritual until it is. The Bible talks about a Sabbath for a reason. You realize God rested on the seventh day? I didn't intend to say any of this, but it's for somebody. You realize God rested on the seventh day? Was it because he was tired? No. He's the mighty God. He neither sleeps nor snumbers. He's not weary. It's because he was creating a pattern that he was instilling in his creation of rest and of margin. And you need to have it in your life or you're going to go crazy. I'm serious. I have a good, dear pastor friend of mine who told me this one time. He said, take a Sabbath or one will be taken for you. <laughs> you the point is, you're going to have a Sabbath, either by choice or by default. It's like eating your veggies. You're either going to eat healthy now or you're going to pay big medical bills later. Which one do you want? Live with some margin. Get off the edge. Tell your neighbor, get off the edge. <laughs> I know this is such a goosebumps and feel good message. I know you're doing so well. Number one, get really devotional about your relationship with Jesus. Number two, get off the edge. Number three, goes right along with, with, get, with get off the edge. Stop stressing over what you can't control. There's certain things in this world you have no control over. Leave them alone. Because the spirit of the age wants you to get emotionally entangled with things that are totally outside of your control. And unless you have an absolute way of fixing the situation, if it's outside of your control, listen, I'm praying every day for the church in, in Afghanistan. I don't have a way of going to Kabul to help people out. I'm not going to lose my joy over it. I am going to pray over it, though. Stop, stop, just let go of things you can't control. Number four, take responsibility for the things you can control. <laughs> Frankie, you can come on. We're going we're gonna to close with this. Take responsibility for the things you can control. I want to give you three things you can control. You can just write them down. I'm done preaching. Number one, what can you control? Your attitude. The Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. What is that? It's attitude. Attitude. We sang this song last week, Frankie. What song do we open with? You give me joy. In his presence is 
fullness of joy. There's joy in the heart of God for you. So let your attitude reflect God's will for your life, which is joy. Number two thing you can take responsibility over, your time. I already kind of talked about that, so I don't need to spend any more time on it. Then number three, your environment. Your environment. Get really devotional about your relationship with Jesus. Get off the edge and start living with some sense of boundaries. Stop stressing over the things you can't control, like the news. Turn that crap off. Amen? You say, well, pastor, I can't control what they say on the news. I can't control what's on Instagram. Don't look at it. You can control you. You see, there's things we can't control, but there's a lot of things we can. Like our attitude. Like our time. Like our environment. Do you realize that when Jesus was in the boat on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples and the storm was raging around them, He was in an environment that he seemed to not be able to control. He was in chaos. But the difference between him and us many times is that he was in chaos, but the chaos wasn't in him. He was filled with peace because he hadn't given his peace away. He'd been spending time with his father. The Bible says he would go and go up into the mountain by himself in the early hours. And, and, and Jesus, the king of the universe, the son of the living God, still needed to be alone with his father. He said, he said the son can do nothing except that which he sees the father do. So I believe that Jesus, during his time with God, got so filled with peace, got so filled with the fortitude of knowing his father had his life in the palm of his hand. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. Jesus was so content and secure in his father that when he got in the middle of chaos, chaos didn't get in him. He couldn't control his environment until he could. Until the peace that was in him had no choice but to come out of him and calm the storm. There used to be a song on Christian radio so many years ago. And I'm sorry if you like this song, by the way. But it says, sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms his child. And I thought, you missed the whole point of the story, bro. The Bible says that we're to be filled with peace that passes all understanding. What does that mean? It means that you can't even understand why you're so at peace. Everything around you is falling apart. And you're like, oh, God's got my life. I'm so okay. I'm super good. And guys, in the world that we live in, that needs to be the church. And the spirit of the age is going to work so hard to keep, to keep your sword dull, 
and to, and to, keep, a, to, to keep a garden hose and a set of gloves in your hand. There's nothing wrong with farming. It just doesn't work when it's time to fight, right? And the enemy, the enemy, the spirit of the age wants to work overtime to keep our senses spiritually dull. But I'm here to tell you, we got some blacksmiths in the land and we're gonna stay sharp. And when it, when it comes to, when it comes to our time and our quiet time with God and when it comes to the to the quality of our relationship with Jesus and to the to the sanity and stability of our thinking we're we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus and we're going to remain at peace because I'm here to tell you we live in a day and in a time where there there is no peace to find in the world and it's in these days and it's in this moment that the church has got to be a beacon of peace and a beacon of hope. Where will the world go if they can't come to us for hope and for peace and for joy and for strength? Where will they go? The Bible says, if the righteous are forsaken, what can a nation do? What, what can the nation do if the righteous people forsake who they are? We've got a wonderful responsibility. Not only to take the gospel to the world, but to live it in front of the world. We're not supposed to look like the world, y'all. We're supposed to have sharp swords we're supposed to be swimming upstream. I don't want to look like the world. I want to look like Jesus. Amen. Oh, glory to God. I, I want to tell you that as, as we're, we're done. I'm done preaching. I don't know why I feel the need to say that, but I'm the only one with a microphone, so. Except for Frankie. He already told me he doesn't want to preach, so that's where I, we've already got an understanding. <laughs> so thankful for you. Um, so thankful for all of you, all of our leaders, all of our volunteers. You know, can I take just, can I just have another 90 seconds before we close? Yeah, again, I'm the only one with the microphone. Um, you know, our church has such a robust leadership team and membership. We have some amazing people that we're surrounded with, and I'm thankful for all of you. If you serve in this church, I love you, and I'm thankful for you. Do you realize that when COVID happened last year, thousands and thousands of churches went into sharp decline, and, and thousands of churches have closed or will close. I read, a, I read a Barna statistic that said between 18 and 20% of churches in America by the end of 2021 will have closed. 18 to 20%, that's two out of 10 churches will close around this country because of what COVID has done, because of the hysteria and all the, all the stuff that came with COVID. Guess what that is, guys? That's the 
spirit of the age. Do you want to know that because of all of you in here, because of many people who are watching us online, because of leaders in our church, because of leaders, our church not only didn't decline, we excelled. We grew in people, in foundation, in truth, in substance, and we grew financially. You realize Hope Church has, can I tell you something? Hope Church got more money now than we've ever had in our history. Most people, listen, churches are still trying to figure out whether or not they can have service indoors or outdoors. And we're over here thriving. Why? Because of leaders and people who did not get shaken by the spirit of the age. Guys, it's time for us to continue to swim upstream. Bible says, don't be, don't be fretful over your labor because it's not in vain. We are going someplace to happen. Amen. We are going someplace to happen, Hope Church. Glory to God. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.